Right, I was going to start this episode with some smarmy crap about billionaires, but that's on the back burner, which I'm sure some people will be pretty happy about. There's something that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah. There's something that needs to be discussed at the moment. There's some serious things happening in the games industry that we need to address right off the top. Very, so serious. We are actually going to start this podcast with gaming related content in a sort of conceited fashion. I only just found out about this thanks to Laura. Yeah, you almost missed this, and I am I am amazed that you glazed over it. <laughs> I was looking for something additional, because basically, Deadly Premonition Origins, the Switch version, um, had a physical edition put out by, um, what was it, Numskull, I think? Yeah, yeah. And I'd gotten an email saying they'd done something special with mine. Like, something a little extra was there. So I got the package and I was looking for like maybe Swery had signed something on it and like something little, yeah, um, like a little trinket or something. Um, didn't even look at the actual cover of the game case. <laughs> oh. Didn't look at what the cover was. And then Laura asked me if I got the package and saw what was done. And I'm like, I saw, I got it. The pins inside are amazing. Like the actual, the, the, the stuff that's in as part of the regular package is great. And I'm like, did you notice what they did to your copy? And Jim's just like completely nonplussed. He's like, what? What? The game? And so I open up the box again and look at the plastic, the actual game case, only to see my gurning mug on it. <laughs> only to see that, and according, as Laura told me, the original artist had done it, but basically on my copy of Deadly Premonition Origins on the collector's edition... The cover is artwork of me, just sort of like stood there in a in a kind of spooky background and everything, and that's an official version of the game with with me on it. Um, and how many copies did you? You got the Jim Sterling limited edition, the very limited edition. How many did you say there were? Yeah, there's what ten? I believe there's ten copies of this out there. And now that I zoom in on it, it's got your like little your your cane. Yeah. Slung over your shoulder. Oh, it looks great. It looks amazing. I've put a photo of it on on Twitter. Yeah, me me and Jim have a copy each, and Comrade's soon gonna have a copy, and that's a that's about a third of all the copies in the world will be owned by this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and all three of them are going up on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> They're not going up on eBay. This is Hell no. this is a treasured item. It's gonna go with my many other copies of Deadly Premonition. Yeah. <laughs> This can sort of go on the pile and it can be on the top, like yep. the snow capped mountain peak. That, it, I mean, both of them being very white. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I think I said about, I, th I think I said holy fuck about 15 times before we started recording. That does sound um, about right. Sound, yeah. I'm, uh, oh, what? <laughs> Why is that now a thing? That's incredible. Um, I'm. That's amazing. It's it's nice to have a positive experience because of a video game and to get excited about a video game, huh? Oh man, yeah. I mean, as you 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 hear about every once in a while, an announcement comes along about a video game that like reaffirms your faith in the direction that the industry is going, right? Ex exactly. Like, may maybe it's playing a Nintendo game with no microtransactions, you know, maybe it's getting a sequel to a beloved long-term thing. Sometimes it's just seeing Jim on a box. Yeah. Although, although, did get 
long-awaited, much-desired news Yeah, yeah. about a storied franchise this week. That's great, right? Everyone's real excited about that. Oh, absolutely. Before we, before we move on, I'm just going to give a shout-out to Mellow Gaming Recommends Ant. Uh, level 54 lv 54 space monkey on twitter who responded to the post about deadly premonition with deadly jimquisition which i've never thought of <laughs> and i'm i like my wordplay and i've never thought of that so thumbs up they're probably going to call the episode deadly jimquisition um yeah so that's enough preening and, and everything about myself um <laughs> Well, let, let's go back to because Conrad had brought something up. Well, yeah, but now I'm distracted because I see that uh, uh, Philosophy Tube is aping your style in his next video. Yes, that's another thing. Uh, that's another thing. Um, <laughs> he, f- he found a really nice corseted hat, actually. He did, yeah. It's a very accurate, um, a little dated now because I've, I've switched everything up. But still, I mean, everyone recognizes that look. And he already warned me. He said, like, in case you get a bunch of mentions in the near future, like, you're heavily cited in a video I'm doing. Well, I saw his list of references for it, and half of them were videos of yours. So, Yes, yeah. yes. So I'm getting a... I'm source material, so, you know, who's the winner there? But yeah, yeah, so... Uh, Half-Life. <laughs> oh, God, that! Yeah. That's the one I was talking about, yeah. I... Can I just say, it should tell you everything you need to know that I didn't remember that was an announcement that happened literally yesterday. Oh. <laughs> Two days ago, I think? Yeah. Yeah, it might have been Monday. Yeah. But, uh, they're, but they're going to show it tomorrow as of when we were, <laughs> as of recording, the video or whatever it is they're going to do to do the official announcement will be out. It's genuinely funny. A third Half-Life game is coming. It's yep. genuinely hilarious. <laughs> I laughed Big time when I saw it. That's a mate. That's such a Valve move. As, as I as I indicated uh, in in a tweet, I would absolutely love for them to be standing on a stage and say, "Don't you guys all have VR?" Yeah, because <laughs> that's what this makes me think of. This is totally that Diablo shit. I want to bring up something serious. I want to bring up something serious about this, though. Yeah, I've seen some really smug takes about it. Because people were obviously disappointed that it wasn't Half-Life 3 and and it was a VR thing, which is still a fairly niche product. And I saw some really, like, I, I, I mean, I won't hesitate to use the word privileged takes on this, where people were talking about how, oh... VR sets are cheaper now. Anyone can get one. No, they're still pretty fucking expensive. And I saw someone who was like, yeah. oh, I, I'm not going to spend that much money on a VR headset. Anyway, here's my $1,500 computer. Like, they probably, maybe they saved up all their money for a $1,500 computer and don't have, you know, enough spare change now knocking about for a VR headset. And a lot of people, um, mostly games media pundits who were doing this, um, like stick up for VR if you want. But first of all, don't just focus on the money. There are other reasons why VR is prohibitive. I can't play most VR games. They make me feel sick. Mm, There are people who get migraines from it. There are people with with eye issues who can't use it. If you want to call people whiny, for not getting the Half-Life they want. Fill your boots if you must do that, or if you love VR and want to go to bat for it, but don't be so fucking ignorant. Yeah, I think I think that this is a very, very funny situation, 
But I mean, I, f I feel for people who actually have an investment and care about Half-Life. I'm not one of those people. Sure. I mean, here's the thing, like, Half-Life Episode 2, or whatever it was, ended on a, a big fucking cliffhanger, and people were told a resolution was coming. Mm. And it's somewhat, uh, it's somewhat um, mirrors, mirrors the live service craze we're in now, where people are expected to buy now on the promise of more later. What I feel for anyone who bought those episodes thinking it was going to conclude. I don't see how that's any different from, you know, when people bought the first few seasons, uh, the first few episodes of that last season of Telltale's Walking Dead and were staring down the barrel of not necessarily getting the rest of it. Like, there's a potential waste of money there. It was episodic and they haven't done anything in like 10 years. And then this unrelated VR game comes out. Like, there are valid reasons. Again, like Conrad, I laughed and and I still laugh because it is such a fucking it's ju it's just a move. Yeah. It's such a move. It's a it's a and uh somebody oh, somebody that I wound up muting temporarily on Twitter because I knew the direction that it was going to go in if I just kept hearing it but they brought up the the suggestion that well don't worry valve has you know pr for days that they haven't touched because we've been so silent and they're you know going to be all revved up and they're going to like promote the fuck out of this and I'm like yeah but they don't have the goodwill anymore yeah like the goodwill's eroded steam has been a clusterfuck for so long they've dragged their feet for so fucking long on this particular franchise that is so beloved and, and has such a following that the slap of the face that comes with, but you have to have VR to play this. I think, I don't know that any amount of PR is going to fix that at this point. Yeah. So you're both totally correct in that this is not a good looking move for them. It's prohibitive to a bunch of people. It's not the thing that people had been crossing their fingers and hoping for. In a time when we talk more and more about accessibility too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I, I, I will get to this later. I played a VR game this weekend that I couldn't get through because oh, it yeah, made I me feel that. sick. And as someone who like, I I love VR. I own multiple VR headsets. I'm a real proponent of, of VR as a really awesome technology for games. But I can still see that, like, this is this is going to limit the number of people who can continue to play the Half-Life series, and that's a shame. Um, like, my personal perspective is, I'm honestly kind of excited for this, but I know that I'm totally a minority here. I love VR tech, and I very much like the idea of seeing what Valve could do putting proper money and time behind a story-based... Half-Life, like a, pro a proper Half-Life game in VR, could be a real killer app for that tech that could be something that goes like, this is the must-play VR title. And that is exciting for me as someone who has bought in on VR and really, really likes the tech and wants stuff to play. But that doesn't change the fact that you're both totally right that this is a really bad look for them and I don't blame anyone who's upset about it, because... Not every consumer is as lucky as me to get sent VR headsets for work and to be able to go, yeah, I'm I'm ready to adopt the VR ecosystem with my with my good health and ability to see in stereoscopic vision. Yeah, I, I okay, so I've never been particularly hot on VR. Um I have I've used a few headsets. I haven't had an experience with it yet that made me personally say, I 
this is technology that I'm going to find indispensable in playing games in future. Like, it's just never reached that level for me. It's a novelty. It can be executed very well. Um, and I think that as a novelty, there's a lot of potential for opportunity there if the consumer price is able to come down to a reasonable level. But that consumer price for VR is under $100. Like, that's where I see it. And if it can ever get there, great. Yeah, we're, we're on the threshold there with PlayStation. Um, you can buy a secondhand PlayStation VR for about £100, which is a little over that in dollars, but about £100, you can get a secondhand PlayStation VR. And granted, that doesn't come with move controllers, it doesn't come with the camera, it does still nudge that price above the 100 But, like, I feel like we're heading towards a world where sub $100 for a decent VR headset isn't going to be an impossibility. And I think you're right, that is probably the price point at which it'll see mass adoption. Um, I, I think that there are some really exciting tech options there for people who can afford to, to go in on that. Like, I'm, I'm really loving the Oculus Quest, and if I, it, it's, it's Oculus's standalone VR headset that doesn't need any, like, mounts and things around the room. It does room-scale VR, it's all in the headset, it doesn't need to be plugged into anything or running off a computer. If we can get to a point maybe five years from now where that level of good VR tech with one-to-one hand motion and whatnot, if you can get that under a hundred bucks, yeah, agree. That that'll be when VR takes off. It's not there yet, but yeah. But even still, I even even once it hits the price point, there are again so many logistical challenges to VR that remain. Yeah, space is another thing. Yeah, uh, like especially for the ones that you've got to stick fucking sensors up everywhere and yeah. clear a big space. Um, at, at my old place, I, I just couldn't use things like the Vive properly. Yeah, uh, I could probably set it up here, but I'm over VR now, so I'm not gonna. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's. I don't think I. Maybe not for like ten or twenty years, do I think mass adoption is ever on the table for VR. I do not think it's a case yeah. where it'll be in every home to the level of regular video games are. I I think it can get more popular for sure, but mass, widespread mainstream adoption. I think we are a very long ways off, if at all. I honestly, I, I'm still a proponent of, I think there is one option of where we might say five years from now, see mass adoption of VR. And I don't think it's a dedicated VR headset. I think whenever the Switch 2 or whatever it is happens, five years from now, if we can get a Switch size handheld that has a te- 1080p screen with a good enough refresh rate, I could see Nintendo bundling it in with a plastic shell and going, hey, here's your VR headset that doesn't need plugging into a computer. Yep. Provided it was lightweight enough for that to work. Yeah. Yep. If they could if they could make it lightweight enough, like if you could get a lightweight, good gaming handheld from a company like Nintendo and ship it with a shell for VR, that would probably be the thing that shifted VR games. I still say the best VR experiences I've had have been with those dinky little VR headsets for mobile phones. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had Samsung VR for a while when I had a Samsung phone, and mm. and they are cheap because for the most part it's just a lens and a plastic frame, and then you just slot your phone in, and the, your phone is generally lightweight enough. Um, I had a Bluetooth controller that was the most costly part of it, I think, if I remember correctly, 
And I played quite a few VR games with that. And, and that was way more enjoyable and easy to use and convenient to use and cheap to use. That was a way better option than any of the dedicated VR headsets out there. So yeah, I think I think the the best the, like the thing that would get it closest to mass adoption would be exactly what you say, Laura. Yeah. So I have I have a more well a technologically positive but commercially dismal view because hmm. I think that as long as we're using wearables to do this, it's going to be restrictive. Yeah, that that is that is true people included myself are too lazy to strap things on for the most part right i i do think and this is like very long term but i can see a future where we have some holographic light projection systems that can adapt to a space function in it and you could operate an ar type situation in there that i can see eventually becoming inexpensive to deploy uh flexible enough to work that but that's 25 years so yeah you know i i i think we are if you if you can get a wear a decent wearable that tracks that tracks the room without having to have external sensors get that that sort of tech down to 100 i think that or, or bundle it in with a console that people are already buying i think you could maybe make it work but yeah I, I I know why people don't want to jump on VR just for a Half-Life game, but as someone that has jumped on VR, I am kind of excited to see what can be done in VR with a Half-Life game. Because like, there are games I've played where I think they, they honestly could only have been done in VR. There are, there are experiences that I think have really benefited from being in VR, and when Valve make single-player linear narrative puzzle exploration-y games, they're really good. And I want a really good game to justify my opening a VR headset, so... I'll say this, though. I think this is very telling of Valve's outlook as a company now. Because, let's face it, the reason they're doing this is because they've got a personal stake in uh, the Vive, I think. Certainly a VR headset. Well, don't they have their own? This is to shift hardware. This is to make... Absolutely, yeah. And then this, this... goes back to everything they do like they are interested in shifting not video games but platforms and you know keeping steam going um i think many people have joined me in sort of writing them off as a video game company for the most part uh because they're a uh, they're a marketplace uh distributor they they they're a platform holder uh this game exists because half-life on vr is good for their VR stakes uh, and expecting them to suddenly come out the gate with a new Left 4 Dead or a new Half-Life. I mean, I I would never say never on that yeah, because there is money in that. But at this point, I don't know why they haven't just licensed them out to someone else. Mm. But yeah, this is, this is to sell the valve index 100%. Yeah. That's, that's the deal. And I, it's, I think they'll still shift some units on this basis. It, I just find it really difficult to imagine people shelling out $1,000 to play a Half-Life experience. And, can, and, and, and I'm convinced that's what it's going to be, by the way. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't think you're going to have even something that's on the scale of episode one, and, one or two out of this. So I'm concerned. I, 
I'm living in I'm living in hope for that. I I want. I... Yeah, and we're gonna find out. Yeah, you know, we'll we'll know by the time this is by out. By the time this goes out, yeah. Out. yeah. Goodness. But I, yeah, I'm nervous for that. Well, I'm not nervous. I but I'm I'm. I'm on the edge of my seat, I guess. You're not confident. No, I'm not confident, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting my popcorn ready. It is still fucking funny, though. Yep, still very funny. It is still fucking funny. Like, I don't, I don't want to make fun of people whose hopes have been dashed. Uh, but it's very funny. Anyway, let's commit some slander. Yeah! <laughs> Who are we going to slander about today? <laughs> I'm doing Gabe Newell today. Keep it on point. Gabe Newell, head of Valve. You know he can swim without moving his arms. And, and he, yeah, yeah. And he can actually survive sub-zero temperatures. And he often goes to the, the Antarctic. And he swims by going underwater. And he can hold his breath for about two hours. He goes underwater with his arms rigidly at his side. Are, are, you, are you suggesting he's a tardigrade? I'm suggesting he is an amazing swimmer and he keeps it on the down low. <laughs> Um, this isn't a fat thing, that'd be hypocritical. I'm saying what he does is he keeps his arms firmly at his side and his feet and legs really close together. Oh. And he he just shifts his legs side to side like those plastic snake toys. And that propels him through the water. Dolphin swimming. Oh, he's like, a, he's, like a, he's like an electric eel in the water. Very much like an electric eel. And what he does is he, he swims up to snowy shores and steals penguin eggs. Oh, that's very that's very naughty. Oh yeah, he calls he calls penguin egg omelets the real forbidden fruit. Well, and he does it for the challenge, right? Because the penguins are viciously mean. But as I and he, so he keeps up. Oh, they've evolved to hate him. Like, well, he, he has to keep a club in his backpack to just you know knock him across the head and push him back to get the eggs. And I yeah, I, I can see why. And I mean, I will say, like, it's. It's not nice what Gabe Newell is doing to those penguin eggs in this slanderous comment that's slander. But it is also something of a majestic sight to see him with a club in one hand, a bullwhip in the other, and just just charging menacingly at a group of penguins going, Yeah! Yeah! Give me them yeggs! He calls them yeggs. <laughs> That is that is some beautiful slander right <laughs> there. Top-notch slander. You know, it was it was totally fine. Until Yeggs. I mean, Yeggs is, like, it's... That's crossing a line. You you see the footage of, of Gabe Newell with his club and his bullwhip menacing penguins, and you're like, this, this brings a tear to my eye. He is, in many ways, a, a majestic steed, uh, a magnificent beast, and then he says Yeggs and he just uh, ruins it. Ah. So anyway, um, what else do we want to talk about? I played some fucking video games this week. Can I get some video games off my chest? Yeah, let's let's talk about Let it. Let me guess what game you've been playing this week. Right. Pokemon? Yeah, but like, I don't want to talk about that first, though. Oh, whoa. I kind of, I kind of want to get the shit out of the way so I can talk about Pokemon, you know, like. Oh, no. Without the the looming spectre of these other games, other games getting in the way. Yeah, do you mind if I get the other games out of the way? Hit me with your rhythm stick. They're, they're weighing on my soul. Um, so I reviewed a couple of games this week for Polygon, and neither of them was great. Uh, <laughs> there were differing shades of not great, but um, I saw I saw the social media and everything about one of them. Yeah. So the first one I spent this weekend reviewing was a game called Golem, which was like. 
quite an anticipated PlayStation VR game. It's It's been knocking around for years. Like, back in, like, 2014, 2015, when PSVR was, like, a new thing, they were going on about, like, yeah, 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 this is going to be one of the big titles. And the concept was... You're a kid who is bedridden because your your sister did some magic and it went wrong and you got crushed by a big rock thing and your legs don't work. And the ghost of your sister's like, hey, here's some magic. Astral project into some golems and go explore this like cool temple and fight off golems with your, with your motion-controlled sword swipes and stuff. And the idea was like pretty good. It, the, the visual style was nice. I was excited to explore this temple. It all looked very nice. And then I tried to actually play it. Um, so, the default control scheme for this game, and the only control scheme it tells you about, requires you to walk forward by leaning forward in your chair. So, Oh, that could fuck off. Yeah, and because the majority of the game is walking around an environment, you have to spend the entire time you're playing just uncomfortably leant slightly forward. You can't sit comfortably, you just have to lean slightly forward. The thing is, and I don't know where I picked up this habit, but about 65-70% of my time playing games, I naturally find myself leaning forward off the edge of my chair. So I would have to just fall onto the floor and break my face every time I play it. Yeah. See, here's the thing. I thought the same, but when I lean on my like lean forward, I'm usually resting on my arms, which you can't do on this because it's a motion game. Yeah. And also, it tells you off if you lean too far forward. You can't be in that comfortable. I'm leaning forward to watch the TV position. You can't be sat up. You've got to be uh, like thirty degrees forwards, just like uncomfortably forward. Brilliant. Yeah. Genius at work there. Yes. So beyond that, uh. The game has a weird, like, the, the sense of momentum's really not very good. Like, you, you go from naught to 60 way too fast. Uh, turning corners, it feels like you're drifting in a tank. Um, there's just a bunch of stuff going on. Uh, like, if you go down a step, it becomes a slope. So, like, you see a step, but you slide down. And it's all a bunch of things that completely confuse my brain. Like, I'm usually good at VR. VR doesn't usually make me sick. Mm-hmm. Over three days, me and my partner kept jumping in and out of it, um, and we could not get through it. Every time we played more than, like, five minutes, it's just like, oh, I'm feeling sick, time to pass the headset to you. Bloody hell. And we were just trying to pass it back and forth, trying to get through this game. I can't name another VR game that has ever made me feel this nauseous. Fucking hell. But, like, there's there's more than that. There's some baffling design choices. Um, If you move your head, like, you know, to look around, you're in VR. If you do it too far or too fast, you start seeing a room that you're not in in your peripheral vision. So, like, you're exploring this, like, temple in a bright sunny day and you turn your head and it's like, did I just see a dimly lit bedroom in the side of my vision? Oh, God. And... This is a consistent thing, and I think it's a design decision, because you're a kid in a bedroom astro-projecting into this golem. I think they're trying to, like, remind you that you're the kid in the bed, but in practice it just made me feel so ill and disoriented. Fucking hell, that's a, that really sounds dire. Yeah, so, like, I later discovered, thanks to an email from the developer, not because the game told me at all, you can move around by holding half of a dual shock in your other hand and using the analog stick to walk around <laughs> um that that was at least less uncomfortable like i wasn't having to lean yeah but it has to be half the dual shock because the other hand presumably has like the move yeah it's the the move yeah. controller yeah 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 Bloody. um but even then like if you're not pressing 
100% perfectly forward, you start drifting to one side, which is Motion Sickness City. Yeah. Um, like, the the shame is, is that, like, the world design looked really cool. I wanted to explore this environment, and the combat, the, like, one-to-one sword combat, when it was working, it was pretty fun. But, like... I kept seeing, like, there's a cool thing over there, but that's not progression. I'm going to ignore it, because I just want to get through this. It was a very unpleasant experience to play. Um, <laughs> so that's a no-lem on Golem. Yeah, no-lem on Golem. And uh, I-, I tweeted my review out, and the first thing I got was people going, Oh god, I played this game back in 2015, and it made me feel really ill. Have they not fixed that? Fucking. I, mean, I was like, just... uh, yeah. That that wasn't good. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, that, that a bunch of people were apparently excited for it. Like it was a big deal kind of VR game, and it just turned out real bad. Um, <gasps> the the other one I've been playing is Shenmue Three. Yeah, how's that? Uh, well, it, it should tell you a lot that like review code didn't go out until like two days, uh, two hours before the game released, and like a day after backers had already had it. Yeah. So I I don't know I I don't know what both of your histories are with with the Shenmue games. W- were you ever fans of Shenmue when it released? Quite a few listeners are well aware of my brief history with Shenmue. Tell tell me about your history with Shenmue because I want to know how to pitch this. I played it for the first time last year. Oh okay yeah. Mm. And despised <laughs> every time wasting fucking minute of it. I had roommates that were really into the Dreamcast. While it was still a thing. Yeah. And they really loved Shenmue. Yeah. And I respected it. I respected that it was just a bunch of bullshit crammed into that box, right? Yeah. Like, the sheer density of pointless crap you could do in (laughs) Shenmue was very impressive, but it didn't encourage me to want to play it, so I didn't. Yeah. So... I, I'm in the position where I did play Shenmue when it originally came out, and, like, I'm, I'm not going to say it was good, but I think that the context of when it originally released is important. Like, when that game released, it was it was gorgeous and feature-dense, and, like, I, I feel like Shenmue, when it released, filled a very similar position to something like Red Dead Redemption 2 for me now, where it... It was visually char- it, like it was really impressive to look at. It felt like you had a really wide scope of things you could do. Um, there was so much, uh, so many things you could interact with, and so much attention to detail. Dot dot dot. Whether that attention to detail was fun or not, much like Red Dead Two, um, it was one of those games where the whole appeal was, "Oh my god, I didn't realize they could do this in a video game." And um, the flow of a Shenmue game is like a really, really acquired taste uh it it's more a game about inhabiting a person's life than it is about actually going and getting the revenge you're supposedly after it's get into a routine as that person and like oh i finished i finished my day i finished my day like my animal crossing managing my food meter and making sure my i've done my job now i get to do a little bit of sleuthing just before bedtime i've done a little bit of sleuthing before bedtime (laughs) and here's the thing i I liked those games somewhat when they came out. And in the years since, I've gone back and played them again and gone, this has aged really poorly because it's no longer the technical and content scale masterpiece it once was. And without that, it does just feel like it's kind of wasting your time. It's it's a lot of busy work. Shenmue didn't need the remaster it got last year. It needs a full it needs a full on 
ground up remake. Yeah. Here's well, okay. So I'll just I'm gonna interrupt real briefly because yeah, yeah. I can draw a comparison here. I think that's uh, somewhat interesting um, mm. because we were talking earlier about another game that bears a lot of similarity in terms of mechanics and things in it, and that being Deadly Premonition. Yeah. Like, it's not that far off from Shenmue in terms of the scheduling, the openness, the Mm. odd things that you can do within that world that's, oh, I can do this? Okay, fine. That's all the same. The difference is that... Yeah. Deadly Premonition is entertaining. It it doesn't take itself so seriously. There's... it doesn't take itself too seriously, but also all of those those weird things you can do are optional. They are, yep. do you want to do this, not you need to do this to keep the game going. Yes. Yeah, they don't exist so that you're not bored while you're waiting for the next bit of the actual game to happen. Like, you can smoke cigarettes and pass the time in Deadly Premonition. And I, I never got round to Shenmue 2, and I heard that Shenmue 2 does have a little bit a be- of a better time with being able to let you wait and stuff like that. Yeah, so... Shenmue 2, the, the the major concession it made in that regard is if it's a very specific plot thing of this is the person I need to speak to to progress the plot and they're not going to be here till 7, I can press a button and I, I'll be there at 7. Right, you see, that would have made the first Shenmue immeasurably better. Yeah, but like, it you can't always do that. It sort of picks and chooses when, which is weird. Those but, fucks. Um, yeah, so... Shenmue 2 ends on a really big cliffhanger. Like, I think it's an old enough game I can talk about the basic premises. Uh, teenager sees his dad get killed, wants revenge. Turns out at the end of Shenmue 2, there's a big end of the world prophecy. Two halves of a mirror. Teenager's got one of them. Villain's got the other half. What are we gonna do? Um, and Shenmue 3, like, 100% feels like it could have been a game made in 2002 as a direct sequel to Shenmue that got locked in a vault and they gave it an HD polish and released it now. Fucking hell. They have kept that formula identical, I would say, to a fault. Um, If you're someone who loves Shenmue, you're going to get some nostalgia out of this because it is exactly the same formula and pacing and rhythm that it once was. The world of games has moved on a lot. Well, everything Shenmue did, Yakuza perfected. Yeah, like, a lot of those things that Shenmue did that were revolutionary at the time are now not fun. Like, uh, a, a great example. Let's say you're trying to investigate a crime scene and look for cl- uh, look for a clue. There's a single clue in this, like, big double room. Back in the day, the fact that there were 30 openable drawers that, you know, most of them have nothing in them, but the environment's not a painting, it's all interactable, I can look wherever I want, that was cool, it was technically an impressive thing. Today, you give me that same option, Shenmue 3, there's a room, there's like 30 drawers, every time I have to zoom in, open the drawer, look in the drawer, uh, Ryo will say basically... Oh, I wonder if there's any clues around, because there's no clues in the drawers. Then slowly close the door, zoom back out, check the next drawer. Do that with 30 fucking drawers, trying to find one piece of paper that's in this room somewhere. I'm like, this is not scope, this is filler. This is what I was worried about, that that Eastnet just, I think it's Eastnet that did them, uh, just hasn't progressed and moved on yeah 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 have they even done a game since Shenmue oh Eastnet have done stuff but yeah that this game feels like they were just like we we are making we are making the HD 2002 Shenmue I'm gonna look this up Eastnet what have they been up to but like can I talk about they that there are some weird baffling moments I I feel like they didn't get anyone 
who is a native English speaker to double check this script before it went out. Because there are parts of this script that do not read like someone who speaks English. Uh, just check them to make sure they pass the sentences. Can I give you some examples quickly? Well, we could perform some. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, should I, I give you a, a, a script? And Comrade, you can play half of the script. Sure, I'd be happy to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. While you sort that out, I'll just... Um, I'll, I'll talk to the listener. Um, yeah, so I'm on Yu Suzuki's Wikipedia, and we got... Uh, the last game he worked on was in 2014, which was Virtua Fighter Fever Combo for phones. He was the director on that. Ah. Before that, 2013 Bullet Pirates for phones. <laughs> then, Vir- I mean, I'm going backwards, but Virtua Fighter Cool Champ for phones. Director. That was so 2011, 2013, 2014, all phone games. Um, 2010, Shenmue City phone game. I mean, you know, and not to let's not shit on people who got to make. Got to make money. You got to gotta fill in. Yeah. You, know, you got to take projects to make money and keep the team going. I get that. But yikes. Yeah. But clearly hasn't moved on. Like... I, I think I think this is the time. I, I need to I need Jim to understand how bad this, this game script is. Are you ready to act out the second part of each of these, comrade? I'm ready. Let's do it. Yep. I'm fully attentive for this. Okay. I'm looking for someone called Yuan. No, I haven't. Could you help me? I'm looking for someone. No, I didn't. How do you know you on? I guess so. That's actual dialogue from this game. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's, that's getting a BAFTA game award. <laughs> God, like, here's the thing. I I don't I I I liked Shenmue back in the day, but my my patience for the the glacial pace it wants to be played at. It has waned. We've had better now. Like, like yeah. the games industry progresses, things get streamlined more efficient, people's standards improve. I could be playing a Yakuza game with the time I've spent playing Shenmue 3, and I would rather I would rather play a Yakuza than this. I'd rather play Yakuza than most other games. Yeah. Yakuza's great. Uh Shenmue is not great anymore. Um most of that gameplay feels like you are literally just running around this one town like uh, do you know about the thing? Uh, eventually, you ask everyone in town, someone knows about it, and they're like, so-and-so knows about it, you go over to them. Oh, I know, but I didn't actually see it. So-and-so saw it, Ooh, off to them. It's just hours of running back and forth and back and forth, talking to every single person in town until someone tells you the plot point that you worked out two hours ago. In the meantime, you've got a meter that is your hunger meter and your stamina oh, meter and your health meter. Oh, sake. It's, it's all three in one, so constantly your health slash stamina is slowly dropping because you're getting hungry. But also, if you want to run, that meter goes down faster. And if you get into a fight and you've been running previously, oh. because you used up your stamina, you have low health when you enter the fight. Oh... So, like, the whole game is you're running around town trying to get everyone to tell you what's what when you already know what's what. Having to run back to town to, like, do a job chopping chopping logs by pressing the X button so that you can make money to buy a bunch of loaves of garlic so that you can eat all the garlic to put your stamina health food meter back up so that you can eventually do a fight. And the fighting is quite fun. When you're fighting, it's, it's quite a good fighting system. And then you're back to running around in circles, round and around and around. No one, by the way, I've, I've, I mean, maybe some have, but I have seen no one ask me to do a Jim Impressions video on that. And I get pestered if I'm even like a day or two out from doing a Jim Impressions of a newly released game. 
um, normally even beforehand. Like, lots of people were like, are you doing Death Stranding? When the embargo lifted for that, like, long before I had a copy, are you doing Death Stranding? Um, are you doing whatever? I don't think anyone cares what I think about this, and that's good because I don't want to play it. It sounds like everything I don't want. I think, well, I think they know how you're going to feel about it. Well, yeah. Well, then again, they knew how I was going to feel about Death Stranding. A lot of people very accurately called that, and they still wanted to see me do it, I guess, because it would be entertaining to see me criticize it. That's the, Yeah, Kojima's a better target, probably. But this seems so... I, I don't even know if that many people are going to give a fuck about playing it, which has always concerned me because of the sheer amount of money that the Shenmue series has always vacuumed up. Yeah, with so many people that that well, and just in this instance, this is a you know a crowdfunded game. There was a ton of money. There was so much hype about the crowdfunding campaign. Yeah, if the game releases like a wet fart, like here's the thing: how many people like what's the ratio of people who backed it to people who didn't back it but will buy it? Like, oh, I can't imagine. Especially when considering most people who backed it are going to get a copy because they backed it. Are they just producing copies to give to people who paid for it 15 years ago? <laughs> like, it's... Uh, I wonder. Uh, can, can I just say the worst thing about this? Like, I would be willing to, like, overlook a lot of this if this was... At the very least, a definitive ending to the story of Shenmue, so that people could go, you know what, if nothing else, I, f- I, I feel like I got some closure for that, that, that uh, plot thread that was sort of left hanging for 20 years. This game doesn't offer p- proper... It doesn't offer the closure you would hope, and it definitely feels like it's leaving a door open for a sequel it wants to make. Like, it doesn't finish off this character's story. Bloody hell. They they feel like they're angling for a Shenmue 4. I, I really have issues with this series from a business perspective, because I'm, you know, you'll see me rally against games not getting a fair shake and not yeah. reaching the audience it should. But sometimes games are so expensive to make because the the director, the developer, whoever, someone in charge is being so self-indulgent. This is why, you know, I had concerns about Death Stranding's budget because Kojima was throwing in celebrity friends and pointless little extra systems and, and no one was telling him no. And the thing about Shenmue is Yu Suzuki is the same thing, but without any of the major clout that Kojima has mm. because... His games have been failures. I'm, I'm sorry to say it. Shenmue as a series, there's a reason why Shenmue 3 only happened in the age of crowdfunding. Because it costs Sega huge. That series is a money vacuum. And it seems to me like all Yu Suzuki wants to do is... like All he wants is more and more money for what is essentially a pet project. For what is essentially whimsical ideas that go into his games that in this day and age are clearly nowhere near enough um you know in a world of streamlined video game design where yakuza knows that yeah you can throw in little time wasty things but not in a way that 
actually forces the player to have their time wasted. I, I have a big problem with Shenmue as a series, despite what I think about Shenmue as a game. It is a money drain, and that this game has cost, I think last time I counted, it was it was seven million. I think initially it made five million dollars in crowdfunding, got an additional uh, two on top of that through public funding. Mm. Then you've got Sony helping out with the budget, and I don't know how much money they put in. Yeah. Then Deep Silver picked it up. But with all of that, it it still feels like a decidedly like middle tier developer game. Like it feels it feels a step above indie. Yeah, I, like I haven't played it, so I can't judge from that. But certainly all the footage I saw. Yeah, looks like a middle shelf game that... It feels rough around the edges. All of those weird, like, text things don't help with making it feel polished. I've seen characters just sit down on chairs that don't exist in thin air. Like, there are all these little things that just go... This feels like it just was pushed out because it had to release. Yeah, it just... I, I, I don't think Shenmue deserves all the money it asks for. Yeah. Simply put. Um, let's hear from Conrad. Yeah. Before we... before like, uh, There's another game I want to talk about as well that isn't Pokemon. But we'll get into the big Pokemon thing. But Conrad, <laughs> tell, tell me... Tell me about a game you played. Well, I played two things mostly this week. I played a lot more Legend of Bumbo. Which is... A l- it get, just gets better. Yeah. I'm really enjoying the progression. I've now managed to successfully finish the game in that that's the same progression as binding of isaac in that it adds sections as you succeed in them until you get the whole run yeah available to you um so i've cleared it now once uh i love the way the difficulty ramps up in it uh i think the strategy is really sound and once you start to get a, a grip on manipulating your your board of tiles uh and playing into the individual strategies of the different versions of bumbo it's really satisfying so if you're into match three stuff or match four or whatever matching games i would i would get it um and they've really done a lot of updates it's still rough but they've got an options menu in there now so you know it's happening but the other thing i played that i thought was really interesting was uh autonauts yeah which is a yeah another one of these like I don't know, Factorio or Oxygen Not Included, you know, simulation games where you build and automate systems. Uh, What I found really interesting about this one is that it's kind of more coding focused, I guess you could say. It has a sort of simple coding system where everything's done with robots instead of building conveyor belts and things like that. You just have these robots that can perform essentially all of the actions you can. The only things they can't do is plan where to put things. So you can program them to do anything, but it sort of puts into focus how many steps are actually involved in all of the actions that we think of as just sort of simple things in video games. Um, Because you can build any of the items in the game and you have to build the, uh, the workshops to work off of those and you can automate the production of these items that then automate the production of other items but there's 
a limited number of instructions you can give to each robot. So you have to segment off tasks in specific ways and you could put them in teams that then do all of their tasks together. And, and then you get goals of new technologies to unlock in terms of farming and machinery and supporting colonists. And then all of that research, you get that by raising people and providing for their needs and it's a very maslow's hierarchy thing you start with uh food and then shelter and then it you know gets to more uh social needs as it goes on and that's all really interesting and pretty well balanced and it's also no pressure like it's just super relaxing uh it's really designed to be understanding with the systems that you set up in that if you program robots to perform tasks where they have to go to locations to get items and things like that, you can move the storage box to some other location and it will just find its way there. You know, And so you don't have to go through a whole lot of micromanagerial fixing of stuff to make a change in your system. And that's really nice. And there doesn't seem to be a fail state. It, you just sort of do it until you're done. And I like that too. So uh, Autonauts, it's fun. It's developed by, I think, a couple of people in Scotland. Uh, and it's on Steam. Cool, cool. Nice. Yeah, it's fun. That's awesome. So uh, what, what's, what's, what's that other game, Jim? The other game. I played another game. I've, I've not played very much of it. In fact, I, um, I realized I didn't want to talk just about Pokemon. So with 30 minutes to go before we recorded, I was like, oh, yeah, I got that game last week and didn't touch it yet. So I gave it a, a go. Um, and I've not really seen anyone talk about it. And like certainly people within my, my social wheelhouse who I think would really dig it. Uh, but it's called Yaga, Y-A-G-A, like Bubba Yaga, and does actually mm. feature her as a character. Um, it's sort of an isometric... Um, uh, like hack and slashy combat you know something like like the legend of zelda like an older one like link to the past or something in terms of presentation um hand-drawn art that looks beautiful um amazing music and really good voice acting um puts me in the mind of super giants work ah. very similar to super giants games um in terms of the way they use music and and the way the way it looks and, and plays in some ways um the, it, my one big criticism is the, the main character moves a little slow uh, for the amount of ground you've got to cover. You get a grappling hook somewhat early in, certainly early enough in the little brief time I played it, that you can actually use to grab onto bits of the scenery and the walls and cover a lot of ground quickly. But even so, um, running back and forth through maze-like areas can be a bit of a hassle. Um, but otherwise, like the combat's really nice. It's very deliberate. Um, I don't want to say slow, but every attack is weighty and has enough of a pause between it that you get into a nice rhythmic timing of attacking and dodging or, or blocking enemy attacks. Um, and they've layered on top of that a few neat little systems, like a luck system, which I've not gotten to grips with fully yet, but as I understand it, you gain more experience the unluckier the character is, because you're playing this unlucky blacksmith who's uh, only got one arm. Um, he lost it in a sort of this battle in a forest. And that's interesting, because um, you don't see that many protagonists um, who deal with issues like that. So he, he's famed throughout the land or at least uh, despised by the ruler of this world for being unlucky um 
and doing certain things increases your bad luck, uh, like using magic items and picking dialogue options that go against your personality, which is another interesting thing in that you get dialogue choices similar to the whole Paragon Renegade thing from Mass Effect. Um, like selfish is a choice and aggressive and uh, I think like heroic or noble or something like that. And different responses in your dialogue will pertain to one of those personality traits. And it tots up the amount of points you have in each personality trait and then doesn't lock you out of dialogue options that go against that, but increases your bad luck. So if you end up making a very selfless, heroic character because of your dialogue options, if you decide to then choose a selfish option, there will be a little icon of this like sinister eye next to that dialogue choice because it's no longer aligned with what the character you've had would say and i thought that's very really interesting like it's nothing that is yeah it's certainly not on the lines of disco elysium or something like that it's not really in depth to that level but it's a neat little quirk in 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 the dialogue choice system uh so i'm really enjoying it uh, the presentation's great um yeah that's all i can say right now i'm, I'm gonna spend more time with it um, but it certainly seems good enough right now to justify like one of my plugs that I've been doing for indie games in Jimquisition, where doing dedicated impressions just won't get an audience. Um, it's certainly good enough for a, for a good mention because the voice acting is great, the music's off the charts, it looks really nice, got nice, got decent combat, and just some interesting systems and little crafting systems in there as well. Uh, so yeah, Yaga. Uh, I'm playing it on the Switch. I think it's on all the systems. Uh, and I, I certainly think... Uh, I can think of a few people I know off the top of my head who would do well to check it out. Nice. Awesome. Right, should we do that Pokemon bit? I think so, unless there's nothing else pressing. Oh! I've... We, we, we say this as if there's some, like, contractual obligation that we don't want to do. I... I you, you, are you gonna, are you gonna let the floodgates open? Because... Cause... I'm gonna... Release the Kraken, Craig! Ah, oh, I've been playing a lot of Pokemon. Have you been playing a lot of that old there Pokemon Sword and that old Shield? Yeah, I've been playing a lot of it. So, I'm I'm gonna just put the the, the criticisms I have out the way so that I can then guilt-free do the, the, the excited bit. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, yeah, yeah. But have you noticed me popping into some of your battles? I have indeed noticed you popping up in my raids. You're the only one I can consistently get an online connection with. Well, see, that's because I am the queen of Pokemon, you see. <laughs> I, I have enough internet to go around to all of the good little Pokemon playing boys and girls. Um, uh, so yeah, I thought that was funny. Like, I was jumping into your raid battles the other night, and I actually got some, because I was recording footage at the time, I'm like, at last, I can get some footage of the online. Um... And actually play it because I I really like the raid battles. But anyway, yeah. To your criticisms. Yeah. So uh, I've I've got some criticisms here and there of it. Like obviously some of the reused animations feel a little bit cheap, and uh, the game can really stutter a lot in the wild area when you're playing online and there's lots of people cycling around. Um. Uh, I, honestly, I've not there. There are things to oh oh actually there is one other. Uh, fuck the online system. Mm. I do not like pairing with people using random number codes that do not... You can't specify just your friends. 
Because like they, they had a similar system in Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee. If you wanted to trade with someone or battle with someone, you put in... Uh, in Pikachu and Eevee, it was images. Like, you, you tapped in a selection of Pokemon uh, four-digit code, and if someone else did the same one as you, you got paired with them. Except that's definitely not a foolproof system. As we learned. As proven by the fact that when... Yeah, when Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee came out... Uh, Jim was gonna trade me a shiny Arbok and then accidentally traded it to someone else because we got paired with not each other, but because of the timing of when we got paired, we thought we'd been paired with each other. Utterly nonsense. Yeah. Game Game Freak need to sort it out with their online if they're going to insist on doing it. Yeah. They need to sort it the fuck out because it's archaic, the menus are unintuitive, using little stickers to try and find people to do things with. It's an absolute yeah. pissing disgrace. Yeah, as, as someone who has been doing lots of trading, like, I basically went and bred a bunch of eggs for all the region-exclusive Pokemon, and was like, hey, Twitter, I'll trade you a sword-exclusive Pokemon for a shield-exclusive Pokemon. Fine. But every time I tried to type in a code to pair with someone, it's like, ah, someone else, he paired with someone else who did the same. It's like four digits with millions of copies of this game is not enough to not accidentally pair with other people. Yeah, um, that's absurd. So, with that out of the way, I've been really loving this game, and I know it's not perfect, and I know that, like, it... it it's relying on a formula, but you don't have to apologize or, or or add caveats. Like if you love it, you love it. Yeah, well, I'm I'm putting these caveats there. I know that they're they're problems, but they're problems that I really don't care about once I started playing. Mm-hmm. Um, f- for me, as someone that really loves playing Pokemon, and like I I you know I put like seven hundred hours into Pokemon last year or some somewhere in that range. Um. I am very much enjoying the the setup of the plot being much more about the gyms. I've been really liking that, that it's they they stripped away a lot of the end of the world stuff and just gone, no, not everyone completes the gym challenge. It's kind of tough. Feel like a badass when you, you know, have an audience chanting for you because you're doing well. Um I like the wild area as a concept. I like this whole idea of overworld visible Pokemon that change with the time of day and the area and you sort of have to keep checking in on over time. I was a little annoyed initially by that whole you can't catch Pokemon over a certain level in the wild area thing. It's frustrating. I feel like that they probably should have just let you catch them and had their old method of if it's above a certain level it'll just start disobeying you. Like that would have been just as effective a gate and wouldn't have stopped me from going that looks cool I want it. But by the time you get like three, maybe four gyms into the game, it stops being an issue because you can catch most of the stuff you see. And in the latter half of the game, it it has basically stopped being a problem, which has been nice. Um, I'll occasionally find something I can't catch still, but yeah, it's it's fine. Whatever. So it's progression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 essentially trying to gate progression in what was presented as an open world area, and I have weird feelings about that like i i love the thought that this could have been a place where you could have gone and caught accidentally caught a high level pokemon early and use that as a speedrun strat the way that people were like oh yeah breath of the wild speedrun sprint over here with no armor get this sword kill ganon in 20 minutes sure you know what's so counterproductive about that i brought this up in in my gym impressions video is if you spend even a moderate amount of time in the wild area you will be leveling up all the time. Yes. And by the time you go back to the story, you're cakewalking it. Like, a lot of the Pokemon I've been unable to catch are, like, one or two levels above 
my party. Oh, I've had I've had Pokemon that are lower than my party that I wasn't allowed to catch because weirdly the obedience uh, threshold for like levels of Pokemon that will obey you is higher than the level that you're allowed to catch. Yeah, I've never had a problem with with obedience. You can get into a situation where you can have a Pokemon that's level 45 but you can't catch a level 40 and that's weird. Yeah, it's just it was it was not necessary for balance. Yeah. It just wasn't. Every time I go into a Pokemon gym, I kick the ass of everyone there because I spent a bit of time in the wild area. Yeah. Well, this is why, like, whenever I go into the wild area, I've been deliberately swipping, switching in secondary teams so I don't overlevel myself and so that I can start building up experience on on other Pokemon I might, might want to use later. Um... I really like the raid system. Uh, I've had much better luck than you in terms of being able to connect people to, to play online with. I've been consistently finding teams of four people to raid with, and it's a lot of fun. I like the whole mechanic where some of the strong ones will put up a big shield halfway through and you've got to work out how you're going to break the shield down. And uh, the rewards for those have been really nice. They're I great. really like... I love that they are so readily giving of those experience candies because... Obviously, you know, in the post game, you can now fix your stats later if you need to. Um, it, it it meant that like I I had uh, what's it called Toxol, this little uh, sulky baby that's pu- uh, that's uh, poison and electric, and I hadn't been using it, and I was like, you know, I could really use it here at level fifty in this gym. Chucked a couple of medium experience candies on. It was up to the speed of my party within five minutes, and I was like. Great, I don't want to have to grind it, I just want to be able to start using that cool Pokemon. Well that's that's one of the good quality of life things they did in the yeah, if you if you're later in the game and you catch a Pokemon and you're like, I really like that one. Yeah. And and you don't if you because if you've done enough raid battles, you no longer have to just boringly grind yeah. and, and go back to an area where the rest of your party is over leveled. But it's an appropriate level for the new Pokemon you're at, which is just backtracking. Uh, I like that you can just bring it up to speed. Yeah, and obviously you could you don't have enough resources to do that for every single Pokemon. But if like if you have one Pokemon that you want to get up to speed, you've probably got the resources to do it, which is really nice. Yeah, I mean you've still got to work for the the XP candy and stuff, but yeah, it's yeah if you've been doing that work. And that's stuff that you want to do. It's fun. It's got its own rewards. You get like rare Pokemon behind it. Uh, yeah, I, I I've been really enjoying that. I, I I think that the the presentation of the gym the gym battles and the whole like the the crowds cheering for you as you go like that's really nice. I'm... I really like the music in gym like the gym leader battles. Yeah, like when it gets to the last Pokemon. The sort of way it starts ramping up and pumping and yeah. And then they made it sound like the crowd's chanting, just ah. I like, I really like that. Yeah, like, I, I don't want to see them go back from this way of doing gyms. Like, it, this made gyms feel really cool. <laughs> um, And then the main thing for me, obviously, has been shiny hunting, because of course, of course I'm, I haven't even finished the Pokedex and out of the shiny charm yet, but um, people have started to work out what the shiny hunting method in this is, and for me, that like is looking for a long-term end game for this game, and this is what that's going to be. I I'm sad that shiny Pokemon are not shiny in the overworld. That was one of my favourite things about Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee. That was great. You could just accidentally go, that one's fucking cool, and go get it, and that was great. Um, the method now is kind of a combination of two things. Um. You know how in Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee you caught the same Pokemon over and over to raise your chance of it being shiny? Yeah. 
Now you knock out the same Pokemon over and over to increase your chance of finding a shiny one. Uh, it doesn't like show you the number. It, it for this game that's easier than yeah yeah than it would be if you had to catch them. Like in Pokemon Let's Go, because it's all catching. Yeah, that makes sense. But here it would have been such a drag to try and carefully whittle their health down. If it's just knockouts. It works better for this style of game. Yeah, totally agreed. I, I wish that it showed you the combo chain of like how many deep into a chain you are, like like Pikachu and Eevee did. Yeah. Because right now there's a lot of question marks where people aren't entirely sure what breaks your chain or not. So that's still being worked out. The game's been out like a week. But um, the other thing, and I find this kind of interesting, is... The number of a species of Pokemon you've knocked out lifetime permanently increases your shiny odds of that Pokemon. Oh. So, like, if you go out and kill 500 Yampers, that, that, the Corgi with the heart on its butt, if you go and knock out 500 of those, you will permanently have, like, a, a dramatically increased chance of finding a shiny one of that Pokemon. That's interesting. And that's not chain. Yeah, and that's not chain dependent. Like, it takes a while to build up that number. But it means, like, if you're building up that number and you're trying to do chains and you're trying to find a shiny and you go, I'm bored, I want to go do something else, I want to close my game down or whatever, or go do a different thing, you've not lost your progress, which is really nice. Yeah, that's... I And, and it makes sense that, that they want to have games increase these odds now because, you know, we're in the age of engagement and people hunting for shinies keeps them in that game for a long, long time. It, it kept me in that game last year for most of the year, so... Yeah, I mean, you, even I was, like, hooked on Let's Go for quite a while. Like, I haven't I haven't aimed to 100% a Pokedex and all of that stuff <laughs> for a long-ass time, and I did it with, with Let's Go. Yeah. And was hunting for shinies, like, to get my shiny Ekans, which I can't use in this one now! <laughs> but we've, we've covered that ground. Yeah. But, like, in terms of, like, the number of Pokemon in this, um, I've not missed the Pokemon they cut out. Like, there's plenty of Pokemon in this that I, I, I've i never felt like I'd have a lack of things to go and catch or a lack of things that I want to have on my team. Uh, you know, I know there's only, like, 65, 70 new Pokemon or something, which is less than, you know, a lot of the other Pokemon games, but... I think the quality of the new ones has been pretty good. There have been some decent ones. I like Corviknight. That's a, a mainstay. Yeah, I've, I've had a team consistently of just new Pokemon. I really like Galarian uh, Weezing. Yes. That's really cute. The big capitalist. Yeah, I love the teapot, the, the teapot ghost. That's that's real cute. I like the drop, the drop of cum that you spin around in a circle to turn it into whipped cream. <laughs> yes, yes. The cummy Pokemon is... Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, all creamy, I've been weirdly obsessed with like it's become my new thing i don't know if you saw that i made one. Oh, your your plate of cream with the googly eyes I, it it was a lot more upstanding than it was by the time i could film it like it melted real quick um but yeah threw a couple of raspberries into a dollop of whipped cream put some googly eyes on it and i made my own pet and then it melted all over the rest of the stuff in my fridge because for some reason i tried to keep it I got really into Al Creamy in the game because I've realised, depending on what fruit you give it to hold, what direction you spin in, and what time of day you do the spinning, you it turns ones, into yeah. different designs. And I'm like, oh, oh no, I've gone down the rabbit hole, haven't I? Yeah, like I got <laughs> what I'm imagining is just the standard type Al Creamy, but I do kind of want some different ones now. Maybe I'll field a multicoloured team of Al Creamies 
the old teamy creamy. <laughs> I looked up a list of like what ones you get and how you get them, and there's one that's got blueberries for eyes, and I'm like, oh, you're adorable. I want you. That does sound good. Yeah. So I, in my party currently, I've got mainstays have been Intellion because I got the the, hmm. the the little frog one to start with. So Intellion, which is like unnervingly lanky, <laughs> unnervingly, it's. I didn't think I would like Intellion until I saw it do its whole finger guns water shooting thing, and I'm it like, is oh, pretty cool. you suave, you suave motherfucker. It is a, a smooth ass Pokemon. <laughs> I, I like doing the sniper shot move just when it gets on one knee and then closes an eye and just baboom with the finger gun. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, Knight, I really like. That was the first one that caught my eye when the new images started coming out for the game. Yeah, they're just the big steel. Bird. It's so nice to have a flying type that has some good defense on it. Yeah, like it's it's uh, it's fairly fairly tanky. Yeah. Um, all creamy. Mm. I've had Toxicroak in there for shits and giggles. I like Toxicroak. Oh, I I love to- I love Toxicroak. Did you get the the yellow or the blue Toxicroak? I've got the blue one. Yeah, I've got the blue one as well, which is my favorite of the two colors. Uh, I've I've had wheezing in and out of the party. Mm. Um, you, you know what I'm really into. What's up? Uh, are you playing Shield or Sword? I'm playing Shield. Okay, so uh, this is this is you know the the Pokemon that's just an apple. Yes. Its evolutions differ depending on which version you've got. That I did see because I looked up how to evolve mine. Yeah, so I've got the one in Sword that's like a little lizard using apple skin to fly, and it's an apple dragon, and it's weirdly cute. Yeah, that one looked better than the one I got, which is... Oh, what, the apple pie? An apple pie with Eeyore's head. <laughs> oh, goodness. If you, want the, if you want the other one, hit me up. I can I can sort uh, you out a, do. a flying apple. <laughs> um, but, I mean... The thing about, and we won't focus too much on the, on the Dexit thing, I've talked a lot about it um, already, but I am basically, as I said on the Gymquisition, Dexit Jesus, <laughs> because I'm the one who sacrificed more than anyone, because practically all of my favourites didn't make it in. Like, yeah. those, those weren't jokes just because I came up with good puns for them when I listed the ones that weren't in it, when I said Chansey, Fat Chansey, and Dratini, Drat Drat, Double Dratini. Yeah. Like, all of those are ones that I've really liked having, like, the ones that whenever they're in a game, I put them in my party. Yeah. So Shroomish, um, Chingling, Chansey, Lickitung. Like, I love Lickitung. It's probably my second best one after Reckon's. Uh, I think the only one I could say that I re- like, has been a regular of mine that is in this one is like the the ghastly line, yeah, ghastly haunter Gengar. Um, I really like. I've always really liked Haunter. Um, I'm holding off on having one in my party till the Pokemon Home thing comes up because I've got a shiny Gengar in Let's Go. Oh, nice. So I'm, I'm waiting to bring that over. Yeah. Um, but but otherwise, yeah, all of my besties were struck down. I. I feel really lucky in that my favourite ones did make it in. Things like Mimikyu, Ditto, um, Ponyta got its own new version, and that was one of my favourites. That one, the the Ponyta is pretty cool. Yeah, I I feel really lucky that my favourites either made it in or made it in with new versions. So like, I I recognise that I am on the the lucky side of of the cuts, and that probably helps with why I don't feel you know like I'm missing too much by the stuff that was cut. But I I. Mm, yeah, I have just been having a really good time. The game is just really charming, and 
I'm just enjoying having a colourful thing where I can go around a repetitive loop where I know what's going to happen and then occasionally I see a new thing and go, oh, I've not got that one, throw a rock at it, it's my friend now, and that's all I really need out of Pokemon. I am happy to play a Pokemon game if it lets me throw balls at animals until they're my friends. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just too much for me to keep track of. I think you're adorable. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, I, the first 151, I played like red or blue. I can't remember which. Um, I was working in a board game shop, had a lot of downtime, played it on an emulator. My first experience with Pokemon was on an emulator. I had an emulated copy of red on PC and it was broken. So you couldn't get past Viridian Forest at the start. And I got so obsessed with that demo or that, that broken emulator copy. I got my starter to level 100 in, in the first forest because I wanted to play Pokemon and I didn't have it. <laughs> yeah, I installed the emulator on the second register of the store <laughs> that I was managing. Nice. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I got a Game Boy for £10 from my friend at school, which... I spent ages until I paid him back for it. I was a real dick about that Game Boy. Um, but I, I got I ended up spending £10 to get a Game Boy from a friend at school. I, I For some reason, I still remember buying Pokemon Red. I still remember the weird little game store in... Um, uh, no, it wasn't Sidcup. Crayford. Uh, weird little game store in Crayford where I picked it up and I played the hell out of it. Uh, I still remember, like, being at my dad's place, playing it, up in Staveley, being... I remember catching my first Pikachu for some reason, even though I'm not really into Pikachu. I still remember on a, the, the bed in the spare bedroom at my nan's house, just lying there playing Pokemon in Viridian Forest, I believe, is, is where Pikachu was caught. Yeah. Um, and I had a... It was a book that I think came with a magazine, like a games magazine. Mm. I would love to track it down and find that book just to have it again because because i'm so nostalgic for it but it it was a complete walkthrough of the game mm. and back then when i was when i was a kid i didn't really care about trying to beat games fairly or, or without looking up guides and stuff um but i didn't necessarily use it to get a walkthrough on how to like play the game what it had that was great was in a margin on the outside of each page was a location-by-location location, um, write-up of each Pokemon. Mm. So I could go through the walkthrough to find where I am in the game, say Viridian Forest, for, for ease of, of talking here. And then in the margins of the, of the pages, it would tell me which Pokemon can be found there. And, and I used that to fill up my Pokedex. And I loved that little magazine. Um, yeah. I, I, that's not enough information to go on for anyone to tell me what it is. But if there was a way to track down a copy of that, I would buy it. Yeah. Because I, I played it with... I had a Game Boy in one hand. I had that magazine in another. And they were inseparable from me for, like, weeks. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it was... A series that, I don't want to say that I disregarded it when it first came out. I just wasn't, I guess, interested or maybe I wasn't as engaged with Game Boy at that point. I was probably playing PlayStation and so I just wasn't really aware of it. It was the card game 
that made me conscious of Pokemon mm. as as a video game, and that's and that's why you know if my boss had ever come into the store while I was playing an emulated version of Pokemon on the second register of the board game shop, <laughs> I would have said this is product research that I'm doing. Of course, because we were. I mean, y- the number of cards that s- we sold through that. Yeah. I mean, it was insane phone calls i always forget how massive that card game was it was huge yeah it was it was huge Uh, we'd have people lined up outside the gated store inside a mall like to have people pick up you know thinking that it's launch day you know for and they come in and we'd get calls all day and it was just it was hideous um very very successful money-wise though um led to a lot of fraud it's just it's all gross it just the whole experience was very gross but <laughs> the video game was really fucking good and i couldn't deny that yeah. like i was hooked on it and uh i did i think catch them all that i could yeah. emulated and it was fun it's it's why the series has managed to survive and thrive as long as it has with such little tweaking to the actual core formula is the core of that game is gold go find a bunch of animals and find them all and make them really strong so they can beat up everyone else and go get all of them and be the best there's just something really satisfying about the core loop of that game and but it is to their credit that they have yet to fuck it up yeah they've they've yet to truly innovate on it but they've yet to fuck up that core and that is i'm i'm glad I'm thankful they haven't fucked up the core of what makes it good. And so even some of the spin-off stuff I thought was pretty fun. I liked that uh, that DS one. I think it was Pokemon Ranger where you drew the loops around. Yeah, yeah. That was oddly fun. Yeah, that was good. And the Pokemon Pinball was really good too. I still have a Game Boy with a physical copy of Pokemon Pinball. It was great. It was a really fun little pinball game. Yeah. It's a good franchise. Yeah. Well stewarded. I I need to spend more time with this, and I'm sure I will waffle on about Pokemon again more next week, because I... I still want the Pokemon Dynasty Warriors that we never got. Ooh. Yes. They had talked about it once, if I'm remembering the story correctly. Tecmo Koei was very interested, but they didn't want the Pokemon to be seen, ironically, engaging in violence. <laughs> Even though all they do is kick the fuck out of each other. Um, I think it was just a little too hands-on, a little too real for them. But, you know, we, we've had Hyrule Warriors since, and the Fire Emblem Warriors one. So I still hold out a tiny, not a big one, but a tiny sliver of hope, because it would be perfect. Mm. It's established there are, like, hundreds. You could easily have have it believable that there is a battlefield with hundreds of diglets on it. Yeah. And you're just running around as, as a Pikachu, like, zapping them and stuff. Like, I would be all in on Pokemon Warriors. Um, um excuse me, diglet is a ground type and therefore immune to electricity. That's true. I picked very bad choices there. <laughs> I feel like such an arsehole. I'm sorry. That yeah. was another good thing Nerd. about that. Another good thing about that magazine I had was they had a, a, a chart, a grid, yeah. where you could just line up on one side the type against a type at the top and it would have a little tick or a cross or a, something else to indicate neutral. That is one really nice bit of um, of uh, user-friendliness in this, is if, you fought, if you've seen a Pokemon before, it will tell you for all your attacks. Is yes. it super effective? Is it normal? Does it not work at all? Is it 
uh, half of effective. I have appreciated that. It's good for catching Pokemon as well. So yes. if you've got a Pokemon, then it's telling you the moves are not effective. You're like, ah, I can use this to whittle them down. Exactly. Uh, it's it's nice. It's honestly like, I've got a lot of complaints about it. I have, I've issued many criticisms about the game. Um, but I still like it. Like I'm still yeah. playing it a lot. Um, and, and I don't know how much more I'm going to be playing it, but... I played it a bunch of a bunch yesterday. I mean, since Friday, I've been playing a whole bunch of it. Didn't even get round to play more uh, uh, of the the Jedi game. Oh, I've played that as well. I completely fucking forgot that. It seems really fucking fun, but I put it down for more Pokemon. <laughs> it's good. It's fine. It's it's glitchy. It feels a little rough. Yeah. Um, I feel like they spent a lot of time looking at Dark Souls stuff and like, what can we, mm. what elements can we, they, they didn't want to uncopy it, but they thought, what elements can we take from Dark Souls that works? And they've implemented them fairly well uh, with the death mechanic being similar to bonfires and stuff. But the the, the enemy makeup, they, coupled with your lack of being able to close the distance really well or have ranged fire um, properly um, throughout much of the game, uh, and dealing with crowds, like crowds of enemies, um, you can get uh, uh, some attacks that that can help with that, but they never feel quite efficient. You, as the character, never feel all that efficient in dealing with varieties of enemies, like melee enemies combined with weird animal enemies, combined with flamethrowers, combined with blasters. It all gets a little too much sometimes. And as I was playing it, all I could think was. They shouldn't have looked at this from a from a Dark Souls lens. They should have looked at this through a Devil May Cry lens. Yeah, Devil May Cry is works so much better as the idea of playing a Jedi and having like really fluid motion throughout the battle because you feel you feel kind of clunky and stodgy in 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 Fallen Order when you really should feel more fluid. And they should have they should have just ripped off Devil May Cry wholesale, and I'd have been fine with it. Also, the platforming is horrendous as far as I'm concerned. Um, I just don't trust that the character will grab a ledge when he's supposed to. I hate sliding down inclines uh, because you just can't turn very well. I've had him glitch through walls at times. Um, I play something like Tomb Raider. I can trust that Lara will grab a ledge or make a jump. Here, the trust just isn't there. Um, but otherwise, like it's it's fun enough. Like fighting just regular stormtroopers is always fun, and they've got good banter. Like like when you whittle them down to one stormtrooper, he'll just be like, "I've got this," I think, and that's quite fun. Um, getting some of the force powers is good. Like if you upgrade them, you can eventually like just grab an enemy and hold them there, um, and then blast them away. Like that's pretty neat. The lightsaber stuff is good when you're in close range and you can counter. Mm. Nailing the counter and parrying system is fairly strict, like a lot more user friendly than something like Sekiro. And as such, I've enjoyed using it quite a bit. Um, but yeah, it's just some of the fights frankly come off as bullshit. Um, and, and the platforming's a little wretched and it just feels, it just doesn't feel quite as smooth as it should. But otherwise, it's it's not a bad time. I'll say that much. Yeah. I, th I started playing it and I was enjoying the start and I knew I was going to have to jump in and out of it because I had a bunch of reviews to play at the moment and I'm 
putting too many hours into Pokemon. Like, I've not even finished the gym badges yet, and I'm already 55 hours into that while reviewing other games. Anyone who likes Pokemon and Star Wars had to face a tough choice, because both of them are going to take up a chunk of time. Yeah, so I, I put my, my, my money on Pokemon right now, and I'm like, I'm taking like two weeks off for Christmas. Um, I'm just going to use that time to play Star Wars. Like, that's going to be my Christmas game, I think. Fair, fair enough. I, I'm looking forward to having some time to play that. Not under any work pressure, but just for me. Yeah. Also, there's so much of a throwback feel to Fallen Order. Like, it feels like the kind of games EA was open to making in, like, 2008 and stuff, like, ten years ago. Yeah. Um, it's a single-player game. It's got a very clear sense of, of, of moving throughout a story, a progressive story. Um, it rewards the player for playing it. There are many little chests dotted throughout each level and you unlock new costumes from there or new lightsaber cosmetics uh you know you can customize the handle and everything and you just find it all in the game like like the the special edition had some extra stuff and there was a pre-order bonus and, and stuff like that but 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 ea has published a game that feels rewarding because it rewards you amazing it's sad that we're at this state that that's mind-blowing. But yeah, it's so out of character for EA, and I do wonder if they're doing it just to placate so that they can shovel a load of microtransactions into the next Star Wars game. So I'm being very wary. But this is a standalone thing. Like it's, It just reminds me, like this is what EA could be doing. They could be making actual games here, not excuses to make money. Yeah. It's it's nice to have a game that just feels like a game. Yeah, and um, I'm into it enough that I I am excited to take the time to to play it properly. Oh, I need to play so much Pokemon before then, though. <laughs> gotta do it. Yeah, gotta do it. Uh, have we got anything else we wanted to talk about today, or is that us sort of done? I think. Uh, I'm good. I need to pass out. I've been I've been so ragged today with with as I said to to YouTube before we recorded, like, with, with new medicines I'm trying out and just some weird sleep patterns. I'm going to go have a sleepy right now. Enjoy. Have a good sleepy. Have a good little sleepy. Um, but while I'm asleep, people may be able to check out some stuff that we do on the internet. And, Laura, you could tell them what your stuff is that you have. Me and my stuff. Uh, Laura K. Buzz on Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, uh, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. Um... It, if you are looking for video content from me at the moment, I am basically every day streaming Pokemon right now. So twitch.tv slash Laura K Buzz, you can watch those live or I do, I break them down into 30 minute episodes for YouTube. So check that out on YouTube as well. If you want to find links to absolutely everything I post, it ends up on laurakbuzz.com. And I've got some books, Uncomfortable Labels. It's out now. It's the memoir, the personal feelingsy one. Uh, there's an audiobook of that, laurakbuzzstore.com. You can go get that there. Things I Learned from Mario's Butt, that's coming out next year. You can check that out, That that's coming out soon. And I've got some other podcasts. Pixel Squirt, it's a video game porn review podcast. Queer and Pleasant Strangers, me and my fiancé do silly voices together and have a bit of a giggle. And Dice Funk, it's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Every season's a self-contained story. I'm on seasons three, four, five, and six with... Comrade Zimmerman. Oh, that's me. It's you. That's me. You can find me on Twitter, at uh, Conrad Zimmerman. I make uh, buttons, and you can buy those buttons, and they have all sorts of, like, uh, pithy or cynical or, in some cases, pretty lefty 
uh, stuff on them, and you can get all of that at P-I-N-F-U-L-T-R-U-T-H dot com, pinfultruth.com. And by the way, November's the best month I've had, and it is like 100% because of people who listen to this podcast. Uh, so thank you so much for the people who've been buying, and uh, I really do appreciate it. That's great. They're awesome pins. I cannot emphasize that enough. And I've got some new designs coming soon, so that's a thing. So yeah, you can go check all of that out. I actually just had to reorder uh, supplies to, to make more because Yay. I was on the verge of running out. So uh, yeah, thank you, everybody who's been buying those. You sh- you should you should go check them out. Uh, I think I think one of my favorites might be the rich taste like pork. They do though. They do. And, uh, <laughs> so yeah, find all that uh, at pinfultruth.com. I am also on some other podcasts. Uh, as Laura mentioned, I'm on Dice Funk with her, which is D and D podcast where uh, right now I'm playing a very boring a very boring wizard and uh, I'm on seasons five and six of that you can hear me on the spinoff doctors with Jim which we just did an episode on dead rising endgame you're welcome mm. you're welcome and <laughs> I don't know if we should be thanked for it uh, but uh, let's see what else uh, of horse Bojack Horseman fan cast I think there's a new episode coming soon I, I I don't know the schedule on it, but hopefully, because uh, that's a lot of fun to do, and uh, I want more of that to come out. And I think that's... Oh, Boston's Favorite Son, which is another podcast that I do with Jim about our good friend Jonathan and making him famous. And it is quote-unquote funny. Yeah. I think that's that's what I've been told. It is quote-unquote funny. Uh, and you can find that uh, wherever you get podcasts. And... Uh, Jim, you have a Patreon. I've heard this. There's that, That's a rumor. I have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash jimquisition. Um, no one has to. Like, like all, no content is gated. Um, but if you do feel like supporting these endeavors or these ad-free endeavors, um, you know, the Jimquisition, Commentocracy, when we get around to doing one, uh, this podcast, Spin-Off Doctors, it helps me pay Laura and Conrad for their time. Um Justin McDaniel, who does all the wonderful art um, and, and a lot of invaluable work on the back end of, of Jimquisition stuff. Uh, so it helps me pay people. It helps me pay, you know, independent artists and, and craftspeople uh, when they do things like make that Mysterio helmet that I have and, and you know, get all sorts of unique bespoke props and, and stuff for the show. So it just makes everything better. Um you know, and plus having some money for myself is appreciated, especially since I'm eyeing a move soon. Um, so that's always good. Uh, so, yeah, you can do that. I also live stream. Not been doing it a lot this past uh, week or two because I've just been really busy. And we had to go to New Orleans last week for a, a certain civics test for certain reasons. And hopefully this week I'll have one up. Um, one or two going and get back into the groove of that that's at twitch tv slash jimquisition and that's about it that's about it uh thank you so much as always for listening um and we will see you next time goodbye bye bye